0: Good morning everyone, we're really glad that you could join with us. In uncertain times like these we're so grateful that we can hold firm to the anchor of God's word and our prayer is that you'll be blessed by our study this morning. In this series we're looking at the first letter written by the Apostle Peter and we've titled these studies Our Living Hope because that's Peter's resounding theme throughout these chapters that followers of Jesus Christ have a hope that transcends the here and now, a certain hope that is grounded in the fact that our Savior is alive today. Peter, of course, was one of the Lord Jesus' 12 disciples, and he wrote this about 30 years after the Lord went back to heaven in the early AD 60s. By this time, Peter was probably a leader in the church in Rome, and he wrote this letter to groups of Christians spread throughout Asia Minor, which is found in modern-day Turkey. Peter's original audience was likely a mixture of Jewish and non-Jewish believers. And he had heard that they were facing persecution for their faith. In the first century, being discriminated against because you were a Christian happened all the time. So Peter wrote to encourage them not to give up. To encourage them to stay faithful to Christ, whatever happened. And Peter has an interesting way of describing his audience. He calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. His language very deliberately calls back to the Old Testament. God's Old Testament people, Israel, were at one time exiles, taken from their inherited land into captivity in Babylon. And ever since, many of the Jews had been displaced. They had been scattered across the world. And Peter is saying that New Testament believers are spiritual exiles. We are exiled from the rest of the world because our citizenship, as Paul puts it in Philippians, is in heaven. We are heavenly natives. We are in the world, but not of the world. And Peter says that reality must have an impact on our day-to-day behaviour. We are to live with heavenly values and heavenly priorities, even when things are difficult. So he begins in chapter one by grounding their minds again in what Christ has accomplished for them, how they have been born again to a living hope as he calls it, with an assurance of eternity. And then he talks about how that unfearing inheritance that's stored up for them in heaven should be an incentive to live holy and distinctive lives on earth, to be holy as God is holy so that people can see God in them. And in this section that we read this morning, which Rachel read to us, Peter says, let's get practical. What does living as the people of God look like from day to day? The living hope that Peter talks about is a hope to be lived out. Christianity for Peter wasn't just a systematic theology that he studied and understood from a distance. For him, it was all about following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus in day-to-day life. It was all about being like him in practice. Even all these years later, he never forgot that day when the Lord came up to him in his fishing boat and said, Follow me. Come and see what life is really all about. That invitation rang in Peter's ears for the rest of his life. And even when he failed and he fell, like all of us do, he got up again and he kept following. And here, as an older man looking back on his Christian experience, he unpacks the practical implications of following the Lord. And there's three things in particular that he pinpoints in these verses, and can I encourage you to have your Bibles open at this passage as we go through it together. Firstly, in verses 22 to 25 of chapter 1, he tells them to love one another as brothers. Secondly, in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2, he says, long for the word of God. All because, thirdly, in verses 4 to 10, he says that we are being built together into God's spiritual house. Where it all begins for Peter is this. Verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He says that we are born again and cleansed and made new. So live that out by loving other Christians. Look at the way he phrases it. We have been cleansed and purified for a sincere brotherly love. It's one of the reasons that God saved us in the first place. We are living to love because now we're all apart Of God's family. Anyone who grew up in a large family will know that loving one another all the time isn't always straightforward. My dad was an only child and whenever my sister and I used to get into fights whenever we were younger which happened quite a lot, he used to say to me, I don't understand why you're always fighting with her. I would have loved to have had a sister when I was growing up and I used to think to myself, well dad you're more than welcome to have mine and trust me my sister's feelings about me were mutual. In every family, we get on each other's nerves, and we get into fights. Every family in lockdown right now will know exactly what I'm talking about. You might love your family in principle, but in practice, being packed in together day in and day out, you might want to strangle each other. That's family life. And even our own church family isn't immune from that. We can have differences of opinion and personality clashes. We can sometimes step on each other's toes and hurt one another. We don't always feel the kind of love that Peter's talking about, do we? And to be honest, we're maybe not always very lovable ourselves. But still, understanding all of that, Peter says love one another earnestly. Not just playing the part, no pretending, genuine love. So how do we do that? Well. Peter isn't suggesting that we just grit our teeth and do our best to think good thoughts about each other and try and summon up as much love as we can because eventually we'll lose that loving feeling. The love that Peter is talking about is grounded firmly in our conversion. It's both possible and essential because we have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. Peter drops a quote from Isaiah 40 to remind them that our natural humanity... Our natural resources are no use. Our own love withers and falls. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. But the word of God that has brought us this new life is powerful and it's through that power in his spirit that we now have the ability to love one another sincerely and consistently. We love through the one who first loved us. But before we completely let ourselves off the hook, Peter does not mean that we have no part to play in this. God does not just do it all for us. He enables us, but it only actually happens once we make the effort. So what does this kind of love look like during lockdown? Well, can I suggest two very simple things? The first is, let's be determined to connect with one another. Obviously, we're limited in terms of how much we can physically do But even just a text message or a phone call or an email to somebody can make a huge difference. Just to say, I've been thinking about you. I just wanted to see how you're doing. A week or two back, a friend of mine from Crescent gave me a phone call just to see how the family was. And it was such an encouragement that even though we haven't seen each other for a while, he was thinking about us. And this is something that our church has been doing a lot during these weeks. And it's something to be so encouraged about. How many of us have been sending each other cards and sharing Bible verses and getting together on Zoom, even leaving gifts on people's doorsteps or taking groceries to older members. It's been hugely challenging for me to see how other people have been stepping up. And can I just encourage everyone to keep going? Now, of course, we all have to be careful what we do in terms of distancing, but let's keep practicing love especially keeping in mind anybody who might be particularly isolated or disconnected. And let's not forget to keep it up once things get back to normal too. Let's keep in the habit of connecting. And the second thing I would suggest is that we pray for one another. This is both the simplest and most profound way to show love. If you're a member of the church and you have a roll book, take a page in the roll book every day and pray for the people on that page. Or go through your contacts list on your phone or your friends list on Facebook. Pray that God will keep his hand on those lives. That he'll encourage them and sustain them and strengthen them. But it's also important to pray together, isn't it? Whenever we come together in his name, God has promised to be there in our midst and it's been great to be able to meet together for prayer on Zoom. So if you're a member of the church, join in the online prayer meetings during the week. You'll get the details sent to your email. This is a great way of bringing each other's needs to the Lord, and that's actually one of the ways that a church practises love. Galatians says that as we bear one another's burdens, we fulfil the law of Christ, that we love one another. And one of the great mysteries of prayer is that as we lift someone up to God, the Holy Spirit helps us to love that person more and more as we pray for them. He develops that heart within us until it more closely resembles the heart of the Lord Jesus. We come to love others the way he loves them. What Peter's readers were going through at this time was threatening to pull their churches apart. That's why he says, stick together. And when we're separated the way we are now, and struggling with everything that's going on in the world, there's always a danger that we can fracture and fragment. Pure, practical and prayerful love is what keeps a church unified through thick and thin. Not love with a small L. Not tainted with hypocrisy or malice or deceit or envy or slander but the very love of Christ himself flowing from a pure heart. Then secondly, in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2, Peter says we are to long for the pure spiritual milk of God's word. He takes the image here of a baby being fed. Now he's not trying to say that these Christians were immature in their faith. What he's saying is that whenever it comes to the Bible, all believers should be like babies crying out for milk. Now, if I'm speaking to any parents with newborns, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When our son Dylan was a baby, he would just cry and cry and cry until he got his milk. He wouldn't stop. And when you put the bottle to his mouth, he nearly took the hand off you to get it. He just wanted more and more and more. And that's exactly what we are to be like when it comes to God's word. Whenever we got this new life, we tasted from God's word how good he is, didn't we? how kind he is and how gracious he is and how magnificent he is. And when you get a taste of something good, you'll always want to go back again and again. It's like when you've gone to a chippy and you've got the perfect fish supper, you'll always want to go back for another one. You'll want to go back to that place again and again. And I wonder, do we want the Bible as much as that? Whenever I read this it really shows me how poor my spiritual appetite must be because instead of crying out for more some days I'm just relieved to have got to the end of whatever the last verse in my reading plan is. That's not much of an appetite is it? But just like loving one another this doesn't come easily. It takes practice and it takes discipline and maybe Lockdown is the perfect excuse for all of us to get into some really good spiritual habits. I try to go for a walk every day, and no matter where I go or what time of day it is, there's always someone in their activewear out for a run. Someone who has said to themselves, OK, here is my chance to really whip myself into shape. So maybe this is our opportunity for spiritual exercise. Determined and devoted time with God's word. Get a reading plan, partner up with someone, get a group together online once or twice a week to read together, take part in online Bible studies, go through a book of the Bible in more depth with a commentary and commit yourself to knowing it inside and out by the time this whole thing is over. Because as we do that, we don't just taste the Lord's goodness all over again. We start to become more and more like the Word made flesh. I read an interview once with the actor Anthony Hopkins where he talked about how he prepared for a film role. And he said that just acting isn't enough for him. What he needs is to really inhabit the character. And he said that for him, it's all in the script. It comes by reading his lines over and over again. His motto is read, read, and repeat. He said that if he didn't read and rehearse his lines at least 250 times, He felt like he hadn't truly become the character. And of course, this isn't the same thing. What Peter's talking about here is something far more profound. We are not acting like Christ or putting on a false image, but that principle is the same. Read, read, and repeat. Because the more we read, the more we soak up heavenly values. The more we come to know the Lord Jesus, the more we come to know his standards and the more the Holy Spirit builds Christ likeness into our character. The more a baby has their milk, obviously, the stronger and the healthier they become. And the more we take in God's word, the stronger and the healthier our spiritual life will be. We grow up into the good of our salvation by becoming like the Lord. Read Read and repeat. Develop that hunger for God's word. So, loving one another and longing for his word are essential if we're following Christ. All because, thirdly, in verses 4 to 10, Peter explains that Christians are being built together into a spiritual house for God's glory. Verse 4 says that as Christians have that daily personal fellowship with Christ through his word, The Holy Spirit builds us together into a spiritual dwelling place, a living and growing temple. Again, Peter is pulling very familiar imagery from the Old Testament. God used to dwell with his people in the Old Temple in Jerusalem. And Peter says that we are now God's temple, our individual bodies, and also the body of the church. God himself dwells in us, which is an awe-inspiring thought, isn't it? But what does it mean for our lives? Well, look at what Peter says first of all about the foundation of the house. He says Christ is the cornerstone. It's a structure that is built on him. Now I know very little about construction. I just sell houses. I don't build them. I wouldn't know one end of a brick from the other. But From what I'm told, the cornerstone, or what's sometimes called the setting stone, is the first stone that's laid whenever a building is founded. All of the other stones will be set in reference to that stone. So the cornerstone determines the position of the entire structure. And if Christ is the setting stone, that means that our lives are meant to align with him. With what the Bible reveals to us about his character. So as we come to his word every day, we are given the pattern to follow. We don't just read his word and take it in. We're also to do what it says. Nick talked to us last week about both knowing his values through the Bible and then pursuing that holiness with our entire way of life, whether it's in what we like and share on social media or in our choice of relationships or in what we choose to do with our free time. So that the individuals who make up our church are aligned with Christ. Not so that we lose our individuality, not so that we become clones of one another, but so that each of us have the same family resemblance. And sometimes, of course, that means that we are misunderstood and rejected, like he was misunderstood and rejected. Sometimes that means that we suffer as he suffered, but it also means that we will be glorified on the last day as he is now glorified. Then secondly, look at the form of the house. On the foundation of the risen Christ, each of us are the living stones that make up this structure. Peter wanted these weak and discouraged Christians who didn't know what lay ahead of them to understand that even in these tough times, God was at work forming them into something of eternal value. And for any of us who are weak and discouraged this morning, God is at work in us and we have a vital role to play in his grand design. We are the living stones. That's why Peter says love is so important because the stones in any building project have to fit together, don't they? They can't be pushing one another away or else the structure loses its integrity. Pure godly love is the cement that holds the stones in place. And the pure milk of God's word is what makes it grow. It fortifies and expands the whole building. That's how a pure spiritual temple for God is made. And purity is vital because thirdly, look at the function of the house. The old temple was where the priests worshiped and served so that people could encounter God for themselves. And the church today serves a similar purpose. We are not only living stones, but Peter also says we are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. Romans 12 verse 1 tells us what our priesthood should be like today. Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our priesthood means offering our whole selves to God in every way, big and small, in what we say, in what we think, in what we do. It means holding our tongue whenever we're about to gossip about somebody. It means keeping our temper when somebody does something that really annoys us. That purity is key because the church is here to let the world see the glory of God. The old temple in many ways was like a beacon to show the glory of God to the nations around them who had no concept of one true God. And people today see God most visibly in our lives. And I wonder what impression we give of what God is really like. Do people see the beauty and the majesty of his character or do they see something else? Do our lives match up with our beliefs? Now, I know I find that an immense personal challenge because I fall short every day. But it is so important because we are actually chosen in Christ for this purpose. And that's the climax of Peter's argument here in verses nine and 10, that we are chosen in the Lord Jesus. Now, just think about that for a second. Some of us might feel like we're never chosen for anything, that we're always overlooked. Some of us might even feel completely unwanted. But God wants you. And if you ever doubt that, just look at the cross. Christ chose to pay for your sin so that he could take you out of darkness and into his light. So that you could be his special treasure. And if you're listening in this morning and you're new to Christianity, you are precious to the God of the universe. He wants you to come into his family too. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and ask him to forgive your sin and come into your life. And for those of us who are following him, living as his people and following him means recognizing that we have been chosen to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to a world in need. And it also means living up to that calling. It means loving one another sincerely so that we're unified. It means longing for his word and aligning our lives with him so that we keep growing into a spiritual house that looks just like Christ. Let loving and longing define our church family during these days and beyond even though things are hard so that we can truly shine his light to a world that needs him now more than ever before. Let's close our time together in prayer. Our Father we're thankful that in the Lord Jesus Christ the chosen one of God you have chosen us Whenever we look into our hearts, Father, we very often feel like a very poor choice. We wonder how you could love us the way you do. But we thank you that you have called each of us by name. You have called us out of darkness and into your wonderful light. And we thank you that you've called us to live as your people today. So we pray, Lord, that with your Spirit's help every day, we will live out our living hope, that we will love one another, that we will long for your word, and that you will build up your church and glorify your name in us. Accept our thanks in your son's precious and worthy name. Amen. Our closing hymn is There is a Redeemer, and this has been specially recorded by our own Crescent musicians and singers. The chorus says, Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son, and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. So as the words come on screen, let's praise and give thanks to our Father in heaven for all that he has done for us through his Son, bringing us out of the darkness and into his wonderful light.